0: Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, I know that you love us with an outrageous love and you've shown that in outrageous ways. And I love the creativity of how you've gotten your message to us and I love how powerfully it's come. So I pray right now, Lord, that you would just use this time in the book of Isaiah to open our eyes to your outrageous love shown in an outrageous way and how we could continue to carry that outrageous message uh, about our changed life too. So I pray for that and ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when I was in high school, it was all the way back in the 1970s. (laughs) Some of you are going, I wasn't even born then. And I know, I know. All right. But way back in the 1970s, I was in high school. There was a fad that was going on. It was called streaking streaking. Anybody know what that is? If you do, put it in the chat. Or if you're on the patio, tell your neighbor. Do you know what streaking is? Because I don't know that everybody knows what streaking is. But what would happen, and it happened all the time, is people would take off their clothes and go running through crowds. Uh, uh, You know, a high school football game, there'd be a person running nude uh, right through the whole thing. Uh, The Oscars that year, someone naked just ran right through the Oscars. And it was like, it was all the time happening. There'd be groups of people streaking together. Well, one night um, I was playing basketball at the Civic Center gym here in the city of Corona and uh, Pam had asked if I would pick her up. So I am super sweaty. I've been playing basketball. I I get in my car, high school student, you know, and and I just was so sweaty. I didn't want to wear my shirt. So I'm sitting there in my shorts. I drive up to the front now of the Civic Center and I park waiting for Pam to come out. Now, what was taking place that night was the city council meeting. And uh, where I parked, there was uh, the city council meeting room there and all these windows that, that looked out, out to the area I was parked in. And and I'm sitting there waiting for Pam. And I look up and I, I see a group of people standing at the window looking out at me. And then I see that group grow and grow. And then I see, are you ready for this? Even a, all the city council comes. They've stopped the meeting and they're all coming and they're looking out the window And they're looking at me and I thought, what is going on? And, uh, you know, there's a lady in there and she goes, hey, I think that's Chuck Boor. And I think he's going to streak the city council meeting. And, and they're all watching, wondering if I'm going to get out of the car with no clothes on and run in and run out. <laughs> and I wasn't going to do that. But I had everybody's attention. Everybody, everybody in there knew my name, uh, whether they had known it before or not. So I had everybody's attention and everybody knew my identity. And, uh, and I want you to know in that moment, man, nobody, nobody was focused on anything else. Um, Why am I bringing that up? You're going to get it in a moment. God wants to get your attention. And God very often will get your attention in outrageous ways. And in Isaiah, we see that. And we're going to look at two chapters where we see God's outrageous love. And then we're going to see how God showed that in an outrageous way. Uh, But before we get there, let's do this. To understand the book of Isaiah, uh, you need to understand something about how God works. And that is this that in the Bible, there are seven world empires that are important for you to understand, to understand the, the Isaiah, but also to understand the whole Bible and how God works, how God works. So let me show you those empires real quickly right now. So there's seven important empires. The first one's the Egyptian empire, so you need to know about them. After the Egyptian empire was the Assyrian empire. Now, what's so important about them is in Isaiah, a lot of the book of Isaiah is going to talk about the Assyrian empire. We're going to talk about them today in a few minutes. But after the Assyrian empire was the Babylonian empire, Isaiah also talks about them. Then after the Babylonian empire was the Medo-Persian empire. And, And even though this would be hundreds of years in the future, Isaiah would name by name, Name by name, the man who would lead the Medo-Persian empire, who was Cyrus, he actually names him by name. And Isaiah would die before he would be born. But Isaiah was given that kind of a message. And so there was the Medo-Persian Empire. Following the Medo-Persian Empire was the Greek Empire uh, uh, led by Alexander the Great. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. And then came the Roman Empire after that. And so the Roman Empire was the next empire, which was the empire of Jesus's time. But even in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament gave prophecies about the Roman Empire. And then in the Bible, They gave a prophecy about another empire. Uh, That's the seventh empire It's the revived Roman empire. And the Bible says, this is really cool to know, that in the last days, there would be a revival of the Roman empire. And and out of this empire would arise a man called the Antichrist uh, who would be a world ruler. And he would use the revived Roman empire to influence the world in the last days. Uh, In 1957, Uh, 1957, which again, that's when I was born, by the way. Uh, And most of you weren't. um, The revived Roman Empire was revived and it started to grow and started to grow. And now we we see it today, it's called the European Union. And so we watch this area of the world today. But God, ahead of time, before any of these empires existed, he told about them. And then sometimes during their days, he would talk about them. And so in the book of Isaiah, you've got to understand those seven empires, but you also need to understand the Assyrian empire, uh, which is what we're going to get to in a minute. Because God uses each of these empires to enact his will upon the earth. Now, how do we know that? And why would God do that? Well, in Acts chapter 17, it says this. In Acts 17, verse 24, it says... The God who made the world, and God made the world, and all the things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. By the way, did you hear what that says? God doesn't live in buildings. Uh, God, by the way, when we talk about the church gathering together, it's not about going inside a building. Uh, Matter of fact, Hebrews 10 that says, uh, you know, do not forsake the gathering of the body. That's not talking about being in a building. Uh, it's talking about the church coming together. Back then, they couldn't have come together in a building. So it says, God doesn't dwell in buildings or temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath in all things. And he made, this is the key part, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having, and this is look, look what it says, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So God determined those world empires would exist. He had determined the geography of them and the time of them so that God, God used them. Now, how does God use them? Well, verse 27 says this. He uses them that they would seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are all we also are his children. So so Paul wrote is the one speaking here, and Paul said, Do you know what I know about God? God, God, was the one who determined which governments would be which governments would rule, which empires would happen. And he did all of this so he could enact his will. And the big part of his will was that people would want to know God and come to know God. Now, what we want to do is understand that God did all of this so he could show an outrageous love for you and an outrageous love for me and an outrageous love for every man or woman who's ever existed Uh, God does that. And we see that in the book of Isaiah. We see that throughout the Bible. We also see it in the prophet Jonah. Now, why are we talking about Jonah right now? Because what we're about to get into in Isaiah is going to be concerning the the empire of Assyria and the, the capital of the Assyrian empire was Nineveh. Now I'm giving you a lot, so let me slow down. Nineveh was the capital, just like Washington, D.C. is the capital of the United States, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And so, again, God is going to talk about the Assyrians in Isaiah quite a bit in the section we're in. And, and at the same time that Isaiah lived, another prophet lived named Jonah. If you have our journal, if you have our journal, you can go to the back of the journal. Some of you guys haven't gone back there yet. Go to the back of the journal and there's a timeline that shows all the kings and all the prophets and, and the times they actually did their ministries and lived. And Isaiah and Jonah actually lived at the same time. Almost for sure they knew each other. And so while we're about to get a part of Isaiah in a moment that talks about the Assyrian empire, at the same time, God gave a message to Jonah. And God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh so you could preach to the Assyrians and so you could lead them to me. I want you to preach a message of repentance. If not, I'm gonna judge them. But if they'll repent, because remember, God wants people everywhere to reach out for him and find him. And so he said, Jonah, go to them. And you know what Jonah did? Jonah didn't go. Jonah went and got on a boat and went the opposite direction. Uh, He he would go to a, a city called Tarshish, not Nineveh, but Tarshish was considered the end of the earth. So here's the wild thing. Jonah would go to the ends of the earth to not have people come to know God's love. We're supposed to go to the ends of the earth so people can know God's love. You can see how this is a problem. But why would Jonah do that? Jonah was a racist. When you read the book of Jonah, you need to understand you're reading the story of a racist who for racial reasons hated the Assyrians and the Ninevites. But I would have been add on to that racial and political reasons. He hated them. And Jonah would have been a part if he was alive today of the cancel culture. I hope you're not. Uh, Too many Christians are. Uh, they cancel people because they disagree with them over politics. They cancel them because of they, they, they disagree of, uh, with them over racial issues. That breaks the heart of God. And God, I would even say, gets angry at that. You and I are not to be a part of that. But Jonah could not be more a part of the cancel culture because his canceling was this. I want them to go to hell. I am so against them politically. I am so against them racially. I want them to burn in hell. You don't get much more cancel culture than that, right? And so what happened is he goes the opposite direction. So he has to pay money. It costs him to do this, by the way, to get on a boat and go the wrong way. And and God, God's not going to have anything to do with that. He told Jonah to go. He wanted him to go. So what happens is they're out at sea. And a huge storm hits the ship. I mean, and it's it's gonna it's gonna go under. It's gonna, it's gonna be destroyed. It's not gonna make it. And seasoned sailors who are on this ship realize we're in trouble. And they're they're crying out to their gods. And Jonah is asleep. They, and, and by the way, that's shocking. He could sleep through this, but they go and they wake him up and they go, What are you doing sleeping? They go, get up, and we're about to die. Cry out to your God. And Jonah probably comes up and stands on the deck and sees the storm and gets hit by the waves. And he realizes it's me. God's doing this. So he turns to the sailors and he said, this is all my fault. And they're like, what do you mean it's your fault? And he said, well, you know, God told me to go to Nineveh, but I, I didn't want to do it. And, and so I'm going to Tarshish. And, and they're like, how could you disobey God? Now, now here's the thing. Get ready for this. This is where I, and I get so amazed at, at Jonah. The the non-believers, the ones who don't follow God are saying, how can you as a follower of God not obey God? How could you not do that? They're like shocked. Why would, if you believe in God, why wouldn't you obey him? And and they can't believe it. By the way, I'm gonna parentheses this. I think a lot of people are asking that question today. I think a lot of people are saying, wait, I, I thought you guys were Christians. How could you be so hateful? How could you be so divisive? How could you be so mean spirited? I, I thought you believed in God. I mean, I've actually, no, I'm not kidding. I've had some non Christians say that. And I've seen some posts, social media posts they were talking about from Christians. You guys, come on. Even the world knows we should act different. Even a non believer, even atheists know we shouldn't act that way. And just like in Jonah's day, they're like, how could you be a part of the cancel culture? How could you do that? And Jonah said, here's what you need to do, guys. You need to throw me over the boat and into the water. Cast me away from us. And throw me overboard and uh, God will spare you. And you know what the next verse says? Don't miss this one. It says, when the sailors heard that, they rowed all the more to try to save Jonah's life. Now, Jonah would do anything he could so that the Ninevites would die and go to hell. The sailors who were not followers of God, the sailors who were not followers of God would do anything they could at the risk of their own lives to save Jonah. That blows my mind. But after a while, it won't work, and they finally do it, and they actually say to God, so now they're calling out to our God, do not hold his life uh, against us, we're not. It, we we did everything we could, and so they take him and they throw him. And as soon as he hits the water, the storm stops. And I bet they were sitting like, whoa! I mean, the storm stops and everything goes calm. And they're looking at each other, and then they see something else happen—a great fish or a whale. We're not sure which one, but it was called a great, a huge, huge sea creature. Uh, uh, but it, probably a whale or a fish. It swallows Jonah. And then watch that happen. And, it's, and John, Jonah's gone. He, he, he was fish food. And uh, God ordained that fish now to take him back to Nineveh. He would be three days and three nights in the stomach of the fish. Now, I don't want you to have the picture in your mind of like uh, Geppetto. I don't know if you know, ever saw Pinocchio, the cartoon Pinocchio. But, but Geppetto gets swallowed by a whale. And he's like sitting and kicking back and fishing. That's not what happened to Jonah. He, in the stomach of the, of the fish or the whale, it is formed around him tightly. Seaweed is wrapped on his head and he can't get it off. His arm might've been twisted up. We don't know that part, but we do know this part. He was being digested as the acid in the stomach began to eat away at him, bleaching his skin white. Now, for some of you who are new to all this, you might say, wait, can that happen? Let me tell you, yes. Not only did the Bible talk about it, But we know of true stories, especially in the area around Alaska, of of whalers, men who were on fishing vessels trying to get to to harpoon and kill whales, um, that were actually fell overboard and were swallowed by whales and survived. Uh, there's a, uh, more than one, but there's one famous story of a man who went overboard. They couldn't find him. A whale had swallowed him. They ended up capturing that whale, not knowing he was in it, caught it up to land so they could clean it and carve it. And when they opened up the, the inside of the whale, they saw the stomach moving and they opened up the stomach. Uh, again, it was all tightly formed around him. I, I don't want you to get, it would be painful. It would be claustrophobic. You could barely breathe. And they cut it open and he was inside, but his skin was bleached white. And uh, according to the account, he smelled horrible. Smelled horrible. Why would I bring that up? Cause God ordained this great fish to take Jonah back to Nineveh. And as it's going there, what happens is it actually gets to the, the shore of Nineveh and it vomits him up on dry land. And, and I believe, uh, it doesn't say it, but I knowing the rest of the story, I think somebody saw it. Or more than one person like, oh, did you see what happened? You know, And he comes up. He's bleached white. He smells horrible. Now he's going to get everybody's attention. Why? Because God's going to take what Jonah did and turn it into a way of bringing an outrage message in an outrageous way to a people that need to hear it. And now Jonah's going to be way more effective in sharing with the Ninevites. One of the gods they worship was a fish god. And so what happens? They've got a fish spewing him up on land. And while he's walking in bleached white, he's walking in with the smell no one can miss. And what does he do? He starts preaching about God and, and the need to repent. And everybody repents. The whole city repents because now he's doing it right. Now he's doing it God's way, in an outrageous way, with an outrageous love. And, and, and the Assyrians begin to uh, repent. The capital of Syria, Nineveh, turns to God. And, and Jonah, actually, instead of being right in his attitude, he gets mad. He gets really upset. He gets upset that people of another race would turn to God, people of another political persuasion would turn to God. And he goes and sits outside the city mad under a big plant. His skin obviously can't take the harsh sun or the wind. And God has a worm eat the plant. That's another thing I think is so cool. And, and, and when it happens, Jonah gets all upset. And God gives him a message. And I don't want you to miss this message. It's, it's in uh, Jonah, uh, Jonah chapter four, verses 10 and 11. And it says this, it says, then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant because Jonah got mad when the plant died. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. God said, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand? And notice this next part, by the way, for all you animal lovers, and I'm one, as well as many animals. He said, I had compassion on the people and the animals. He goes, why didn't you? Why didn't you? So God, God showed he loves the Ninevites. And now we get to Isaiah again, who's living at the same time. And Isaiah is going to talk about God's outrageous love for everyone. God has an outrageous love for everyone. Please don't miss that. So you and I should not be canceling people out. We should be building bridges to bring them in. We shouldn't be canceling people out. We should be building bridges to bring them in. And the first uh, group that we see Isaiah talk about in this section are the Ethiopians. People with dark, dark, dark black skins. Black community people. And uh, God has a message for them. And he says to Isaiah, I want you to share this message about the Ethiopians. And, and I'm gonna go ahead and read it all to you. Don't miss our, at least a big section of it. It says in Isaiah 18one to seven, listen, Ethiopia, and he calls out to the Ethiopians. This is a loving message, by the way. Land of fluttering sails that lies at the headwaters of the Nile that sends ambassadors in swift boats down the river. Go, swift messengers. Take a message to the tall, smooth-skinned people who are feared far and wide for their conquest and destruction, whose land is divided by rivers. All you people of the world, everyone who lives on earth, when I raise my battle flag on the mountain, look. When I blow the ram's horn, listen, for the Lord has told me this. I will watch quietly for my dwelling place, as quietly as the heat rises on a summer day, or as the morning dew forms during the harvest, even before you begin to attack. While your plans are ripening like grapes, the Lord will cut off your new growth and prune she- with pruning shears. He will snip off and discard your spreading branches. Your mighty army will be left dead in the fields. For the mountain vultures and the wild animals. The vultures will tear at your corpses all summer. The wild animals will gnaw at your bones all winter. At that time, the Lord of heaven's armies will receive gifts from the land that is divided by rivers, which is Ethiopia. From this tall, smooth-skinned people who are feared far and wide for their conquest and destruction, they will bring gifts to Jerusalem where the Lord of heaven army dwells. Now you might say right away, Chuck, wait a minute. I didn't catch anything loving about that. Here's what he's doing. The Assyrian empire was already spreading throughout the world. They were conquering nation after nation. And God says to Isaiah, tell tell Ethiopia not to fight them. They won't win. Tell them if they come out to battle, even though they've won before, this one they'll lose. Their corpses will be scattered everywhere. The vultures will eat them. You know what God is saying? Don't do it. Don't do it. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to die. Why would God give Isaiah this message to the Ethiopians? Because God loved the Ethiopians. God loves everybody. Don't miss that. God loves everybody of all tribes, all languages, all nations, of all skin color. Uh, God does, and God wants you and I to have that same love and appreciation and value for people too. Uh, Racism is one of the worst sins imaginable because it's against people that God loves. And Isaiah says in this message to them that one day the Ethiopians are going to come to me. One day, I want to tell you, I'm going to have a relationship with them, and there's going to be incredible numbers of them who turn to me. By the way, God in the Old Testament showed a great love to Ethiopians. Uh, to an Ethiopian. In Numbers 12, mark this in your mind, etch it in your heart. Numbers 12, uh, Moses married an Ethiopian woman and his sister Miriam and his brother Aaron actually got angry at him for marrying her. Get ready for why? Because she was black. And so now they are they are against this interracial marriage, and they begin to speak against Moses. And God hears it, and God gets so angry that He calls He tells Moses, "You bring Miriam and Arian to the tent of the meeting." and And they come there, and they know now they're in trouble because they've been speaking out, they've been being racist. And, and when they come up, God comes down on a cloud, and He lifts up, and all of a sudden, Miriam, she is white with leprosy. She's completely white. You know what God was doing then? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Read the story, but don't miss this part of it. God was saying, "You want white? You think white's better? I'm going to give you white like you can't imagine." And He turns her white with leprosy. And Aaron looks at her, and he he cries to Moses. He goes, "Pray for her healing. Come on, don't leave her like this. Don't let her die." And, and Moses prays for her. And at that moment, God heals her. He says, but she has to wait seven days for cleansing. Now, why is that important? Because she had to go sit outside the camp for seven days. It was like God's version of a timeout. <laughs> See, parents, God used timeout. And he, he, sent, he sent her out there for seven days. And during that seven-day period of time, everybody has to wait. They can't go anywhere. And by the way, let me say this. I believe today many churches are stalling out because they've bought into racist language. And uh, we can't do that. We can't be that way. We've got to love everybody. So in Numbers 12, we see God love an Ethiopian woman. Uh, In Acts chapter eight. So we're in Numbers 12. We've been in Isaiah. Now we're going to go all the way in the New Testament in Acts chapter eight. Jesus has come, Jesus has lived, Jesus has died on the cross and, 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 and for our sins and risen from the dead. Now it's time for his message to go out, to go out to everybody because Jesus loves everybody. And uh, there's a, an Ethiopian man, he's a court official of Candace the Queen. And in Acts chapter 8, we read about him. This man was a eunuch. That means there was a surgical procedure performed on him so he would never be able to have uh, sexual relations or children. And uh, what happened is he was a high-up court official. And, and being Ethiopian and being a eunuch, he was not allowed to enter the, holy, uh, the holiest places of the temple. But he fell in love with God somehow. And God said this day would come. And he traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to bring gifts to God, to a God and to a people that would not allow him to enter the doors. He could stand outside. He could hear the worship. He could smell the incense and see the smoke and smell the smell of the sacrifices being offered like like it'd be a barbecue type smell. He would see the joy of the people. And yet he would never be able to enter. Uh, They called a person like him a proselyte by the door. A proselyte means a follower, a a committed believer, but he was not allowed to enter through the door. But he loved God so much he would do it. And uh, he, while he was in Jerusalem, he bought a scroll. He might have bought more than one, but he bought a scroll of the book of Isaiah. Here's what a scroll would have looked like. I want you to see it. Now, now, again, look at that. To read it, you would have to open it up and you could see how difficult it would be to read, period. Uh, but I want to make that point clear. Uh, but here's something else you need to know. There were four scrolls to the book of Isaiah. Um, scrolls were very expensive. They were on papyri. Uh, that's the kind of paper like they were written on. And, and if you were to take the value of this scroll in our day and time, it would be $20,000 a scroll. So one scroll, 20,000. Four scrolls, uh, 80,000. And so he bought at least one scroll of the book of Isaiah. He may have bought more. And, and then what happened is he's he's riding in the chariot out on a, a deserted road. No one's out there. He's in the middle of nowhere riding on a chariot trying to read the scroll. Now, I want you to think about imagine having this and it's shaking, but he wants to read God's word so bad he, he can't even wait till it stops writing. By the way, I, I, I am going to give a little conviction here. Get ready for some conviction. Uh, some of us can't get up in the morning and sit in a comfortable chair with a cup of coffee and read the Bible. You just don't do it. This guy loved God and his word so much he couldn't even bear not to have it every moment, even bouncing in this chariot. And while he's going along, he, he, can't, he can't figure out what the prophet's talking about, what Isaiah's saying. And uh, God sends Philip to him. God just grabs Philip and, and miraculously places him in the desert. And Philip's like, why am I way out here? And here comes a chariot towards him. And, and he waves it down and, and he runs over next to it. And they just slow down. They don't stop completely. And, and I, he hears the guy reading. Like He's heard him reading out loud. I'm sure it's miraculous even he could hear that. And, and he's reading these words. Uh, or he's reading Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verse 3. Uh, So guys, I'm jumping to Isaiah 53, verse three. It says, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs and he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through. Don't miss that. Who do you think was pierced through? for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. And all of us like sheep had gone astray. Each one had turned to his own way. But the Lord, the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And Philip hears him reading that and he says, do you understand what he's re- you're reading? And he said, no, I don't. He goes, who is he talking about? Who is Isaiah talking about here? And and Isaiah said, and Philip said, do you want to know? And he said, yes. And he got up in the chariot and they rode along together. and, And he began to tell this Ethiopian man, this Ethiopian eunuch. He said, I want you to know who he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus has come and done this. Our sins were put upon him. He was esteemed and stricken. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced through when he was hung on the cross. Everything that said in Isaiah 53 happened to him exactly the way God said it would hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And this message is the message of love, outrageous love for you, that God wants you to know that. And this man realized in this moment there'd been another prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled. And this is where, guys, I'm going to jump to Isaiah 56. In Isaiah 56, it says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, By the way, it'd be in the same scroll that Isaiah 53 is in, that he (coughs) has this. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To them I will give in my house, within my walls, a memorial and a name better than that of the sons and daughters. In other words, I'm going to call you my child. It's better than the name of a son, better than the name of a daughter. And I give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. And, and this man in the same scroll has showed that Jesus not only would die for your sins, He would say that no longer are you to stand outside the door, but you're to come in. No longer are you part of the group that says, stand at arm's length. No, it's come be embraced. You are now God's child. You are now God's person. You are now the one God loves. If you will choose to obey him. And that that Ethiopian unit looked at Philip and said, what do I do? And and then he, he looked, he goes, there's water. There's water. Can I be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe in Jesus with all your heart, you may. And the chariot stops and they go down into the water, down into the water, in their clothes, by the way, like we, we did last night. We saw 15 people baptized last night, almost all in their clothes. And, 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 and down in the water, and then they, he baptizes him in the name of Jesus and he comes up rejoicing. See, what it was the message? The message we saw is God said, I have an outrageous love for everyone, including, and maybe especially in this moment, the Ethiopians. I love them. I love them. And, and I sent Jesus to die on the cross for them. I sent Jesus to reach them because God loves everybody. By the way, in the book of Isaiah, we see this love of God reach out to all, all people. And matter of fact, in very specific ways, to interestingly to people. Uh, let me show you this. Uh, uh, God, uh, uh, in the book of Isaiah, says that he loves Egyptians. And in the book of Isaiah, he calls out to Egypt and says he loves Egypt. Uh, Isaiah also says he loves the Syrians. Uh, so don't miss that. God says through Isaiah, I also want you to know that I love, go ahead and go to the next one. I love the people of Afghanistan. Uh, so God calls out to them in a loving, caring way. And then God also calls out to the people of Saudi Arabia and names them in the book of Isaiah and says, I love them. And then God also calls out to the people of Jordan and says, I love them. Uh, and, and I care about you and I want you to be a part of, of the people that I love and care for I want to know. And God also names Iran uh, as a group of people that he loves and cares for and wants them to know. And God also, I think there's another one popping up, Iraq. God says to the people of Iraq, I want you to know I love you too and, and care about you. And so, and God also names Lebanon as another group, the, the Lebanese. I love you and I care about you and I want to embrace you. So we watch this international call of Isaiah going out. And, 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 he, and by the way, it's not limited just to these groups, it's the whole world, but the known world of the day. God God says, not just Israel right here. I love all you guys too. God loves people of every tribe, race, tongue, and nation. And he now also names the Ethiopians. And, And so we need to know that too. So God has this incredible, outrageous love for everybody. And now here's what you need to know. Now God is going to tell Isaiah to bring this message in an outrageous way. And so in Isaiah chapter 20, it says this. In the year of King Sargon of Assyria, now, now he's going back to the Assyrians. He sent his commander to the chief cat to capture the, uh, the Philistine city of Ashdod. The Lord told Isaiah, the son of Amos, Amos take off your burlap, what you have been wearing, and remove your sandals. Isaiah did as he was told and walked about naked and barefoot. <laughs> God said, take off your clothes and walk about naked. And he was not only naked, he was barefoot. He didn't even wear sandals. It says, then the Lord said, my servant Isaiah has been walking about naked and barefoot for the last three years. (laughs) Okay, this is outrageous. All right, get ready for this. Uh, It goes, this is a sign and a symbol of the terrible troubles I'll bring on Egypt and Ethiopia. Notice he's naming those two countries again. He's trying to warn them. Don't miss. It's a warning. It's a loving warning. And it says this, I'm trying to warn you about something, and I'm going to do it in an outrageous way. It says, for the king of Assyria will take away the Egyptians and the Ethiopians as prisoners. He will make them walk about naked and barefoot, both young and old, their buttocks bared uh, to the shame of Egypt. And then the Philistines will be thrown into a panic, for they counted on the power of Ethiopia and boasted of the allies of Egypt. And they will say, if this can happen to Egypt, what chance do we have? have. We were counting on Egypt to protect us from the king of Assyria. Uh, There is a little bit of debate amongst pastors and Bible scholars on whether Isaiah actually went about completely nude. Uh, By the way, we're talking about streaking, except he didn't run. (laughs) That's why I told the story at the beginning. But just like I got the attention of the city council, God got the attention of everybody for three years while Isaiah walking about this way. But was he completely naked? And, and I want to tell you, John Calvin, Calvin, one of the most famous Bible scholars who's ever lived, he says, yes, for sure he was. And he actually gives an incredible argument that for sure he had to be that way. And he gives all the reasons why. But let me give you two to think about. Uh, When the word is used there, the word naked, it's a Hebrew word, uh, and we're going to show it on the screen for you. It's the Hebrew word, and guess what it's translated every single time it's used? Naked. So in this one case, I can't imagine it doesn't mean that. 16 times it's used in the Old Testament. 16 times it means completely without clothes. Uh, One of those, by the way, is in Job, where Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Now I want to tell you, all the moms out there know, you've never given birth to a baby with clothes on. Not a diaper, nothing. Um, and and I, Isaiah said, that's how I walked around. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because God is a God who shows outrageous love and outrageous ways. He has an outrageous love for everybody. And he showed it in an outrageous way here in Isaiah by having him walk around with no clothes on, which got everybody's attention. uh, uh Hundreds of years later, a man named John the Baptist would show up clothed, but clothed in very strange clothing with camel's hair on, and he would eat wild locusts. And, and people were like, what is this guy doing? Why does he look like that? And he would get their attention, and he began to preach about Jesus and, and say, get ready, the Messiah is coming. And, and with an outrageous message, he showed outrageous love in an outrageous way, and he got everybody's attention. And so I want you to know that God today is doing that all the time. And the most outrageous way that God showed an outrageous love was when God put on something. Just like John the Baptist put on camel's hair and ate locusts. By the way, Isaiah took off something, his clothes. God clothed himself with humanity. He came in the form of Jesus as a man to walk this earth Uh, To live life as a man, even though he had all the power of God, he limited himself. That showed his power and sovereignty. And he came and he lived a life for you and I to follow that example. And then he died on the cross. Matter of fact, then he was stripped completely. Um, By the way, completely. Hanging on the cross, not for three years, but for hours as he would die. And then he put into a tomb for three days. God showed outrageous love. And in showing that outrageous love, he brought an outrageous message of saying, I love you and I care about you. And he, he said that to the Ethiopians. He said it to the Egyptians, Afghanistan, but he said it to you and he said it to me. In John chapter three, verse 16, it says this. It says, for God so loved the world. This is the most outrageous message of all that he gave his only begotten son. You know, you hear that too often, maybe. No, not too often, But we hear it sometimes so much we don't stop and go, wow. He gave his only begotten son. I I hope that I would be honest in telling you that I love you. Some of you I know very well and some of you I don't. But I hope I I genuinely love you. But all of you, I can promise you this, there isn't one of you I would give my sons for. Uh, I, I wouldn't. If my son somehow had uh, uh, an ability uh, by their death to give you life, then you're done. <laughs> you're not going to make it. <laughs> I, mean, I hope you know Jesus, because if not, you're going to die. I certainly wouldn't give my grandson for you. I, uh, I told my uh, youngest son, um, who's the father of my grandchild, Liam, I said, if I ever saw you two standing in front of a bus and the bus was coming and I could only save one, (laughs) then Liam's Liam's getting saved and you're down, buddy. (laughs) And then he goes, Dad, if I was standing in front of a bus with them, I'd deserve it. (laughs) But anyway, I wouldn't do it. But God loved you so much, you. And I'm going to just not say anyone else other than you right now because it matters to you that he gave his only begotten son. That's outrageous love. Shown in an outrageous way. And then it says this, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So he didn't just give you love, he wants to give you life. Now you've got to choose to accept the gift, but that's what he does. And it says, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in him has been judged already because... He did not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So God said, I, I, I love you so much, I'm going to do something else outrageous. I'm going to give you a choice. You can choose to believe and choose to commit and choose to obey or go your own way. By the way, and, and let me say this, that anybody who does not choose Jesus goes to hell. Apart from Jesus, you can't go to heaven. That, for a lot of people, is outrageous. They go, how could that be? Why wouldn't God just make us be his because of love? Because of love. That's outrageous love. And God wants you to know his love, and God wants love from you. And today, I hope that you would say, man, I I, I really want to walk in the love of God. I want to live in the love of God. I want to be filled with the love of God. Because Jesus came and paid the price. Isaiah saw it. Isaiah talked about it. The Ethiopian eunuch said, I want this. What do I need to do to be saved? And Philip said, if you believe in Jesus Christ with all your heart, you may. And just like that Ethiopian eunuch who had been told time and again, God won't ever accept you, found out that wasn't true. Some of you need to know it is for sure true. God will accept you. God will love you. God wants you. God wants you. He wants you. And today, if you're not in a relationship with God that is real, that is active, that is vibrant, that's alive, it can be. You're a prayer away. The Bible says, call in the name of the Lord and be saved. Philip said to him, if you believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus with all your heart, you may. And, and the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ, is the son of God. And bam, that was it. He was ready. He was ready. And he, he prayed the prayer and he got baptized he became he became gods right now i'm going to ask some of you out there where are you out with god where are you do you love the lord because he loves you and maybe if you're saying well i don't know i've never done this before i'm not sure what to do let me tell you what to do to enter a relationship with jesus that's real To come to know his love. And by the way, when I say real, I mean real. You really come to know his love. You really come to know him. You come to live with him. And he begins to to share things with you and empower you and and lift you up and take away your guilt, take away your shame. All that's yours. To have that happen and be real for you, the first thing you do is pray. You pray a prayer. And in a moment, I'm going to lead a prayer and ask you to pray it with me. It's not just life changing. It changes your eternity. But it is life changing. And God's outrageous love will become a part of your life, and you get to live the life he made you to live and be the person he wants you to be. And the Bible says you actually become a new creation. The old has passed away. All the old sin, all the old failures, all the old pains, the old has passed away and all things become new. That's for you right now. Some of you actually need to come back to that. You used to live in that at one time. Maybe you've got caught up in the cancel culture. Maybe you got caught up in the anger and bitterness. Maybe right now pride has taken over. Maybe you've given into something that is creating shame and bondage in your life. Come back to the Lord. He always wants you back. There's nothing you could ever do where he wouldn't love you and want you. You just got to choose to come get that love. Come get that life. So right now there's some of you need to pray this prayer with me to give your life to Christ for the first time. Some of you need to pray it to recommit your life to Jesus. So the first step is to actually make a private commitment to God by praying. The second is to make a public commitment to God by letting it be known you did it. Those two things is what the Bible teaches you do to begin the relationship. The private prayer and the public commitment. And so I'm gonna ask you to do this. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to pray the prayer with me and make that commitment. But I also am gonna ask you to let us know you're doing it. How? By grabbing your phone, grabbing your iPad, grabbing something you can text with and text AMEN to 69922 text amen to 69922 and when you text amen to 69922 what you're going to do is let us know i'm making this commitment the word amen means the truth the truth and you're saying this is for real i mean this and so when you text us we're going to text you back to find out some who you are we want to know your name and then we want to get some information and then we want to send you now here's the thing for free We want to send you for free an electronic copy of The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren so you can read that and know the next steps to take to find your purpose, to know what you're made for, to understand how to have a relationship with Jesus better. And so I want you to have that. And so we're going to give that to you free. That's our gift to you. But God's gift to you is love. God's gift to you is life. God's gift to you is strength. God's gift to you is kindness, our guidance and kindness. So God wants to give all that to you right now. But you need to pray and say yes to God. Then you need to text us and and say yes to letting us know who you are. And, And we want to give all these things to you. So right now, there's some of you need to pray that prayer with me. You may need to pray for the first time. You may need to pray to recommit. You may need to pray it with someone else. You could pray it alone. You could pray it as a couple. You could pray it as friends. Pray it as a family. But right now, this is your moment. So are you ready? All you who love God, don't tune out right now. Instead, pray for people to say yes. Pray for people to say yes to the Lord's outrageous love for them. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for anyone who needs to make this commitment. They need to to. to be yours completely. I pray you're going to stir in their heart and move in their minds and they're going to say yes to you. Right now, Lord, I pray for anybody. This is their time. I pray nothing would hold them back. Nothing would distract them from this most important decision of all. I want them to know your love. Right now, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'd forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'd heal me from hurt and pain. I pray you'd free me from anything that would hold me back or hold me down. And then say these words. Say, most of all, I pray you'd make me yours i pray you'd make me alive and i pray you make me brand new so i say yes to you and i say yes to the life you have for me so take me now and make me yours make me completely yours for this i pray in jesus name amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, amen, make sure you either text us. If you have don't have an ability to text, email me at chuckatcrossroadschurch.com uh, chuckatcrossroadschurch.com just email me and we'll get you a copy of the book. But even more, we're going to celebrate for, with you. We're going to pray for you. Uh, we want to connect with you. We want you to really experience great things from God. So praise God that we got to be here today studying this together. Praise God for his outrageous love that he shows an outrageous ways. I uh, And I pray that you have an opportunity to experience this outrageous love and to share it with other people, maybe in outrageous ways this week. God bless you and have a great, great week.